Hello, you are listening to the Great British Drafting Show, uh, sponsored by Ortho Carolina and a proud part of the Riot Network. Uh, Dan Creso is your host, and joining me today is Vincent. Hello. Yeah. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about free agency because that's looming. Um, so rather yep. than having the usual format of going through a position group in the draft class, we're going to run through each position, talk about what the Panthers might do at that position in free agency and who they might look at. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Yep. Um, so let's, do you want to get straight, uh, stuck straight in? Yeah, let's go for it, let's go for it. I don't think yep. there's, there's sort of much beating around the bush to do. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say about quarterbacks, what, what the Panthers might do there? Um, so I think if you've been paying attention to the Panthers in the last sort of few weeks, Ron Rivera has made it pretty clear that they're probably not going to go after a quarterback in free agency. Yeah. Um, my feeling this is probably more to do with money than anything else. And that realistically, if, if they're going to sign a free agent quarterback, it's because they need someone to start week one because Cam isn't healthy, or at least that the, the, they might have to start week one because Cam might not be healthy. And realistically, the amount of money they have, you're not going to get anything close to a, a decent level of quarterback play for that kind of money yeah um and at that point you might as well just accept that those games where that person has to start are just a write-off and just either start a rookie or start someone like carl allen or um uh, taylor heineke and just sort of get it over with and save yourself a couple of million yeah the the only caveat to that might have been if kaepernick was willing to take a massive massive play, pay cut to get on a roster but i i I don't think it is fair to expect him to do that or or really that, that I think the Panthers, I think, have probably considered that and passed on, I think, at this point. Um, I, I, I think they probably want to go quarterback in the draft, but I, they, they don't have the money to pursue it in free agency. Um, one thing that was slightly hinted at by someone the other day was the Panthers might might be interested in Josh Rosen. Uh, not not something this isn't inside knowledge. This is just an idea that's yeah. floated. Yeah. Um, the only thing with that is, is that I can't believe the Panthers are going to be the highest bidders for that. That that yeah. like some that there was some report that they were willing to trade him for a third round pick, and I just I just can't believe that they've that that no one is willing to offer them more than that. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. That, that I I there are far more QB needy teams who should be willing to offer greater assets than the Panthers are, frankly. So that you know. Whilst I don't think it would be a bad idea for the Panthers to maybe give up a third for for um, Rosen, I can't believe that's the best offer the yeah. the, the Cardinals would get if they are actively shopping Rosen. So it's it's worth making a call, but don't expect it to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's you know as we'll give it a go, but if that's the best offer the Cardinals have got, then then there's probably something else wrong. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, other than that, I. I I think Heineke's a free agent or of, of some description, and I wouldn't be shocked if they bring him back. I know he, he got hurt last year, but he would effectively cost them peanuts. But I, I can't see them signing anyone for anything other than the absolute bare minimum. Okay, uh, let's move on to running backs then. Yeah. Where, where you know a position that the Panthers are probably a bit more likely to yeah. to go after someone in free agency. Yeah. Um, I think. If you look at the Panthers running back group right now, it's it's a real concern. Um, not because Christian McCaffrey isn't a very good running back, but because the depth behind him is minimal. And what there is, is very much of a type, shall we say. Um, yeah. they, they don't have a complementary back to McCaffrey in the slightest right now. And whilst I think that is something they're going to look at in the draft, they were very, very fortunate to go into the draft last year needing a running back completely fail to get one because they all went ahead of them in the second and then be able to get cj anderson after the draft like i think if the yeah. panthers go into the draft in the same situation this year fail to get somebody they will not get anyone near as good as cj anderson so i think it you know it would be sensible for them to add somebody before the draft not necessarily for loads of money but just somebody who takes that off the really must draft list um i quite like the idea of alfred morris who yeah, is definitely not the most exciting running back in the NFL, but has been pretty dependable wherever he's gone. Um, whether it's Washington, Dallas, or San Francisco, he was I think he averaged like 3.9 yards a carry again last season behind a pretty mediocre San Francisco O line. Um, he's a pretty good complementary back to McCaffrey stylistically. He's a downhill runner, not the best receiver, but in the red zone can give you some sort of up the middle carries and and offers more of that sort of more interior rushing threat. 
I mean, it, you know, if you go into the season with Alfred Morris as your number two running back, that's probably not a plus as much as it is not a negative. But it then frees you up that if the running back class just falls badly again, like last year there was a huge run on running backs in the early second. If that happens again this year and players aren't there, uh, I think it's 47 in the second where the Panthers pick. You you, you know you don't have to reach at a running for a running back. You can you can say okay fine we'll go in with Alfred Morris as our number two and we'll we'll take the players who've fallen from other positions. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty low risk uh, free agency signing. I can't imagine him costing a lot. It's a good no. hedge for if you don't pick up a running back in a draft. Or if um, you do pick one up and they get injured, you know, for yeah. example. And um, actually, it's not so much of like, he's, I think he signed a one-year 800,000 deal with San Francisco last year. And I'd imagine he'd get a similar deal this year. And actually, if he ends up being a number three back, it's not this massive sunk cost that you've sort of wasted by by not playing him, if that makes sense. Yeah, he just, he, he, he'll allow you to keep McCaffrey fresh. Yeah. You know, perhaps take McCaffrey out uh, in, a, in a series and just put him in. Um, take some hits yeah and, and, yeah and and i think the other thing to note is that he does give you that sort of short yardage option which mccaffrey is that's the, that's the area where if if the panthers you've got to try and save mccaffrey's carries because he's not that effective as a short yardage back and giving him those carries doesn't really serve anyone's purpose yeah yeah yeah, but I, I, I don't think they're going to go... I mean, they don't have levy on Bell money, but I don't think they're even going to... You know, un, Unless the market is, is way weaker than, than expected, I can't imagine them going for guys like Coleman or Ingram or anyone like that. Yeah, but uh, generally, free agent running backs tend to be quite cheap. Yeah. You know, compared to ones that are drafted in the first round, etc. Oh, yeah, no. It, it, it's, it's good value signing running backs rather than drafting them sometimes. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to tight ends and fullbacks? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is an interesting group for the Panthers, I think, because it's it's they they certainly don't have a shortage of talent. They just have some real questions and some some potential uncertainty. So I think one thing the Panthers are going to have to deal with sooner rather than later is the fact that you can't you can't keep that many specialist blockers in on a roster in the in, in the NFL now. And They've had Alex Armour and Chris Manhurts last season, both effectively as those specialist blockers. And it's going to be hard to keep both of them on the roster as sort of guaranteed places to have this guaranteed blocking tight end spot and this guaranteed fullback spot. And I think there might be this this point where they have to pick between one of those two guys. But doing that then frees up a spot to either running back or tight end, potentially, as a more sort of natural receiving tight end. Yeah. And given... So this is something I, th- I think is a real interesting area for the Panthers, is that you clearly have two very talented tight ends in Greg Olson and Ian Thomas. The issue you have is that Greg Olson has come off two injury-prone seasons where he's you know, barely made the field, and when he has, he's obviously not been healthy. And you have Ian Thomas, who took a massive step forward last year and looked really promising, but is also still really quite raw. And if he's your sort of number one tight end with, with Manhurst as the number two, that's probably not a positive as a position grouping that, you know, that, that, that you, you wouldn't be confident throwing in Thomas out as your number one tight end from week one and saying, yeah, we're fine. It's sorted because he yeah. still needs development. And so the issue comes then is that you, you if everyone stays, if, if Olsen stays healthy, you've got two really good tight ends. You can rotate and everything's great. But if Olsen gets hurt, you've then suddenly got this weak spot. Um, so actually adding a receiving tight end for the right money, obviously, and I think that's this goes without saying this is true for whatever position the Panthers go for, it's going to have to be for the right money. Um, but if you can add a receiving tight end who, particularly if they can give you value in the red zone where the Panthers aren't the most talented in terms of receiving options, um, and, and can rotate in and give you insurance if Greg gets hurt, I, I think there's value for a tight end as a sort of a summed value over several contributions, both in terms of depth and rotation value and specialized value, rather than necessarily it being this, you know, a, a traditional tight end signing. Yeah. Um, and I, the guy who I've kind of been softly pushing for a while is um is Tyler Eifert. Who, okay. Interesting. I mean, his injury history is really quite troubling at this point. Yeah. And as a result, you're getting a borderline all pro tight end for definitely less than $5 million and possibly less than three. Bear in mind, he signed like a one-year $5 million deal last year and then got hurt again. He's not going to sign for that much. You know, his his value yeah. is only going down. And 
actually what he if if you can play it right you can use him if Greg Olsen's healthy he gives you a rotational piece who can be a, a very valuable factor in the red zone and if Greg Olsen's not healthy then he gives you a legitimate option to rotate him with with Ian Thomas and it's one of the it is it would definitely be a luxury signing like you know realistically having a, a tight end group of Olsen, Eifert and Thomas would be you know Baltimore Ravens-esque but but <laughs> Uh, having just given six million dollars, yeah, that's insane. Uh, it's, it's bonkers. Um, but what it does mean is that, given you have got injury histories with two of those guys, you're, you're getting the value in the average rather than because they're naturally, you know, Tyler Eifert. It's much better to have Greg Olson play eight games at an elite level and Tyler Eifert play eight games at elite level and get your value that way than having two mediocre guys rotating. So actually. Although you couldn't, you're probably going to assume that neither Eifert nor Olsen plays all 16 games at this point. But if they can combine to play 16 games, that's actually the the, the insurance value of that is worth two or three million dollars, I think. Yeah, but there's there's a good chance they're both injured at the same time. Just I, I, given I, I, the injury prone issues, it it just seems a bit risky to me. There is a bit of that, but there is also a bit where the reason. So there is also a bit where because they had to play, they got hurt more, so that. Because Eifert was the guy in Cincinnati, if he was having a bit of a bad, you know, if, if he wasn't feeling totally healthy yeah. and it was a judgment call, they probably had to err on the side of playing him. Whereas if, if if you have two other guys, you can err on the side of not playing him and save him those kind of unnecessary expeditions, should we say. And you also have the fact that, like, a lot of Greg Olson's issue was the fact that he basically got rushed back twice because they needed him to be healthy to play. Um because he got no last year he got hurt against I can't remember which game he, was it Miami he got hurt I actually can't remember which game he got hurt in last season but they basically had to rush him no I think it might be New England actually it was earlier in the season than that wasn't it it was it was quite early yeah. my mind's gone blank but they basically he, he he came back as soon as he possibly could and was very definitely not fully helped like he was basically playing on a post partially broken foot because they had to have him back because they were desperately trying to make the playoffs and those Big, and you do that because you have no other options and those kind of things then increase the risk of injury whereas when you've got more options you can take fewer risks and therefore you save players from getting hurt as much it's the same thing with rotating running backs is that when a guy's a bit sore you can afford to, to lower his carry count that one game because you have other options rather than keep having to pile the carries on because you need to win games and and you can blame coaches for doing that but realistically the, you know Ron Rivera has been fighting to try and not be fired for the last two seasons. And it's hard to blame him for trying to win games in the short term. Mm. Um, and actually, I think he did a really good job of, although the cam thing could probably have been shut down earlier last season. I, I think Ron actually did a pretty admirable job of not fighting desperately to save his season and actually just accepting and, and resting players who were hurt. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely hoping that Tyler Eifert can uh, put his injury woes behind him because he, he is a great player. I mean, the Panthers saw that last season when they played the Bengals. Like, people want to moan about Colin Jones in that game. There are a handful of times where Colin Jones could not have covered Eifert any better, and Eifert just made ridiculous catches despite the fact that Jones was all over him. I mean, you know, he is he is a legitimate top five tight end probably in the, in the NFL. Maybe, certainly top ten, probably top five when he's fully healthy. Yeah. Um, particularly in terms of his ability to contribute in the red zone. And when you get a chance to get something like that, like, this is... It's one of those things where you're taking a gamble on him being even remotely healthy. But, you know, and the, the, effectively, if you're spending $2 million on him, two, if you, you say it's two, two and a half million dollars, which is probably the, about where his value might be at right now, bear in mind how much he's got hurt. The worst case scenario is he misses the whole season and you lose two and a half million dollars. But the potential benefits are a significant rotation piece who fits a genuine need in terms of redstone value. And if you sign him for a one-year deal and he stays healthy, you then probably get a comp pick out of it the next season anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, the, the it's about risk and reward. And at this point, you don't actually have to risk very much to get Tyler Eifert. And the reward you get back is is pretty chunky, potentially. Yeah. Um, but more risky than someone, say, like Alfred Morris. Oh, yeah. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah. You could waste two and a half million if he's out for the whole year. Yeah, you could. Um, I, 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 I think that's for me. That's then end, like I wouldn't sign him for the contract he signed a year ago, and the Panthers don't have that kind of money anyway. But it's, it's. I think once you start getting below about three million, I think it then starts to enter the acceptable risk bit for me, particularly when you add in the fact that 
he, even if Olsen is healthy, he can still see the field in the red zone. I think that's yeah. that's that's the key bit for me, is, is that actually you can line him up at wide receiver in the red zone and he fits there. Okay. Let's move on to wide receivers now. Yeah. Um, if, if, if a Panthers, say, cut uh, Torrey Smith and say five million, do you think yeah. they'll spend a bit of that on a wide receiver? I think they have to then, because I think you're then at the point where your number four wide receiver is most Frazier. Um, <laughs> and, and, and at that point, yeah, you have to spend some money on receiver. Um, if I'm honest, I think even if they do cut Torrey Smith, there's a decent chance they try and bring him back anyway for less money. And whilst Torrey Smith would absolutely be entitled to then, you know, you know screw you, I'm, I'm, you, know, you can't treat me like that. I, I, I don't think anyone's going to pay him $5 million. Like, yeah. there is, there is, he, he is not a player without value, it's just his value is not $5 million. So I think it would depend. I think, it, you know, if, if they cut Torrey Smith and sign him back, then I think you're much... That moves you from... Ha- like they, they can't go in with Moe's Frazier to the draft with Moe's Frazier with the number four wide receiver. Given the other needs they have, they can't be in a position where they have to draft a receiver. Yeah. So if they do cut Smith, they probably have to sign somebody and it might well work the other way around that they get a low-end free agent receiver and then look to cut Smith to free up cash for other positions. Yeah. Uh, just as a bit of security. But I... I I don't, I don't think they're going to spend loads of money on receiver, but at some point you just need bodies. I mean, we'll talk about this a bit with other positions, but you know, at some point you've just got to have a certain number of people just to you know get you through training camp, if nothing else. Okay. Is there anyone in particular you think they might look at? Or so, I mean, I don't have inside knowledge on this kind of stuff, and and even if I did, it, it's it, it's so hard to pre- particularly guys towards the end of the free agency class, they just get a bit of of randomness in terms of how when they get picked up and for what money. I mean, I quite like Kevin White as a potential option. I mean, there's no doubt he is a horrific bust in in Chicago, (laughs) partly because he was drafted way, way, way too high. Like, like, you know, he he was a reach even at the time. I think most people sort of viewed it that way. But, I mean, he's, you know, again, he had some early career injuries, though that hasn't really been an issue the last couple of years. And basically that meant that he then... Rather than being a feature of their offense, they then went in other directions because they couldn't rely on, they didn't feel they could rely on him. And so, like now with Alan Robinson and, and Tariq Cohen and other options, you know, he he was he was down that depth chart last year. Um, do lose Devin Funchess. Even if they keep Torrey Smith, all their receivers are under six foot one. Uh, sorry, all their receivers who have any NFL playing time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are under six foot one. So. Whilst height isn't the only important thing in the red zone, and it, you know it's definitely not a real issue for most receivers being under six foot two or three, say, when you get to the red zone and you're relying on sort of five foot nine, five foot ten, five foot eleven receivers, it's it's quite hard to do certain things schematically, and it it's useful just having a couple of players who you know that if push comes to shove, you can throw a fade to and they have a chance of coming down with it, um, because the Panthers don't have loads of those guys right now, if any. And actually, I mean, I would be amazed if Kevin White gets a million dollars on the open market. Maybe he might get a million. I doubt he's going to get much more than that if he does. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's, he's got less than 300 career receiving yards and one and 54 of his 285 career, career receiving yards came on one play. So, you know, he, he is, wow. yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like 20% of his career production is one catch. Um, and that's four seasons as a top ten pick. Like, like his market is is probably going to be pretty much non-existent. And because of that, you effectively get him for no effective cap hit compared to the fifty-one you have to pay already. And if, if I'm asked to choose between a guy like Kevin White and Mose Frazier, Kevin White gives me one more of a specialist impact as a red zone receiver, and also has obviously more upside to work with. So the Panthers have done something similar before when they went after Stephen Hill. And he actually looked not terrible before he completely blew his knee out in training camp. So there is some value in getting guys who have just busted massively elsewhere if you think there's something to work with and some potential value and trying to develop them. Yeah, so, low, low risk, high upside. Yeah, precisely. It, it's it's the it's the very, very cheap, extreme version of, of the iFoot pick where there's kind of at least with White, there is absolutely no risk. And if he just stays as your number five wide receiver and does absolutely nothing over the next year or two, then that's not an issue. You know, again, you need bodies to a certain point. But actually, maybe you can get something out of him. Maybe you can develop him. Like he does have, you know, it also depends a bit about sort of how much impact the injuries have had. Yeah. He, he hasn't had enough game time to really tell over the last year or so. 
But he had vertical speed, he had ball skills, and he had aerial ability, and he had some flashes of route running. And whilst that's definitely not worth making him the seventh overall pick, it's it's worth a million dollars, or it's worth seven hundred thousand dollars that you'll probably have to pay him. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, yeah. I, I, they don't have big time wide receiver money, or really a big time wide receiver need. So it's 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 more about like those bottom spots on the roster for some positions. Yeah, I guess at, at that position, it's either um, and at the the amount of money you're willing to spend, it's either you go for a guy that you're fairly confident uh, can be a decent third or fourth wide receiver, um, but there isn't much potential upside, or you go for someone like Kevin White. Yeah, and the Panthers could do both. I mean, realistically, the three receivers who you know are going to make the roster pretty certainly are DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Jarius Wright, and beyond that, it's pretty much anybody's. And the Panthers could, you know, probably carry five, if not six receivers. So you, you can go for a nice mix of upside and, and sort of floor and, and you know, see where you go from there. I mean, you probably carry 12 receivers in training camp. So, you, you know, you need to sign some people just to get the numbers. OK, uh, let's move on to the offensive line, which yeah. is a big position of need for yeah. the Panthers. And there are some interesting decisions they have to make there. Yeah, I, I think the big takeaway here and it. it it, it's become very clear in the last week with sort of Darrell Williams pretty much confirmed that he's not coming back to Carolina. Um, well, it has been confirmed on his behalf, shall we say? Yeah. Um, offensive linemen get a lot of money. I mean, like the Donovan Smith contract in Tampa Bay huge. is is insane. So if you are a bought like this, this is this is the issue with the Khalil Matt Khalil situation is that Matt Khalil is overpaid undoubtedly, but mediocre left tackles get that kind of money pretty regularly. And yep. obviously with him, there's a bit of an injury concern as well, which is, you know, can't be dismissed. But he's overpaid, but he's not that overpaid compared to what the NFL market is. And if the I think with, with him, the Panthers would be foolish to move on from him until they actually have another option. And that's probably going to have to come from the draft because the odds of them getting a starting tackle in free agency, I'd say, are pretty much zero. Yep. Um, I, they, the Panthers would love to go out, out and sign probably like one solid to above average starter on the offensive line. And if they do, that's great. However, expecting them to do so is probably a bit foolish given the amount of money they've got to spend. I mean, you know, like people have talked about, uh, you know, and, and not unreasonably, but Matt, Matt Paredes from, from, from Denver. Yeah. But he could, he could easily get $10 million on the open market. Uh, and for a will be 30 year old center, who's coming off a, a foot injury, that's that's a, that's a lot of money to spend for a team that has about $16 million in cap space. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you, you can't... What they'd like to do and what they have the money to do are two very different things. And I think at this point, the Panthers are slowly accepting, if only because it's being sort of pointed out to them quite vigorously, um, that, that the only way for them to get real development on the offensive line now is going to be through the draft that that they 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 don't have the money to be serious players for any of the major offensive line pieces and either that means that they have to do what they usually do and try and you know grab whoever they can and stick them together to make a makeshift offensive line which obviously has not worked well over the last you know five years or they just accept that this is something where they're gonna to have to draft and try and fix other areas in free agency i mean it, it would probably make sense for them to try and sign a center and maybe a tackle, but that's probably at the lower end. You know, they're probably going to be signing backups rather than starters, should we say? Pray for Cam. Yeah, no, I, re- I mean, I don't think this offensive line is 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 quite as bad as it might initially seem. Um, but there's definitely it needs to be better. It, you know, it's I, I think how can I put it? It's the 2014 offensive line was catastrophically terrible. And the fact that the Panthers went into the season with that offensive line is a is really not good. Yeah. This offensive line is not that bad. Like, how, however you look at it, there is no way that, that they are better at pretty much every position compared to where they were in 2014, with the possible exception of Ryan Khalil and the fact that they somehow lucked into Andrew Norwell at left guard as a UDFA that year. So, yeah. the, you know they were starting Byron Bell at left tackle who is now 
is he even in the league? He's definitely not a starter anywhere. Like he's yeah. he's a bad backup right tackle. And they sort of Nate Chandler who was playing defensive line the year <laughs> beforehand at right tackle. Like like this this is not this is not a good offensive line. This is not the calamitous offensive line they put out in 2014. And I think it's important to realise the difference there, that that this is not good rather than, you know, pit of despair um, bad. So I, I I think this, yeah, I, I think they probably just have to bite the bullet and, and accept that they have to fix other holes and then go into the draft and fix this one there. So do you see them targeting that position fairly early in the draft then? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the... The way things are working out, I mean, we'll talk about it more as we get closer to the draft. Yeah. But I think, I think uh, it would be very, I think offensive line has to be the plan in round one right now. Yeah. Partly partly given because the defensive line class, defensive end class is so deep that you can get good players at 47, but but also because that they, the need of, you know, they can fix, there is a chance they could fix every other position in free agency apart from the offensive line. Yeah. I think it makes sense from a salary cap perspective as well, just given yeah. how much uh, free agent offensive linesmen are paid yeah. um, because it's such a big position of need for almost every NFL team. Even if you get a mediocre starting tackle in the first round at 16, you're probably still saving yourself seven or eight million dollars compared to the market value. Yeah. And that that's that's completely ridiculous. At no other position can you get a mediocre, mediocre player in the first round and think you're saving yourself serious money. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move on to defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, defensive end, defensive tackle. Uh, will I make any movements in free agency for those positions? Um, I think they'll definitely sign somebody. I mean, at both positions they kind of have to, if only for, for the numbers. Um, it's worth noting that the way that the salary cap is calculated during the offseason, they don't do it isn't, you know, for all ninety players on the roster. I think it's the top fifty one who count towards the like the, the off season salary cap. So yep. if you sign guys for, given that all teams now have over fifty one players on their roster, the actual cap hit is the difference between what you pay someone and the fifty first highest paid player on your roster so so if you sign someone for 700 you know given the panthers probably have to sign another 20 players the debt the gap isn't actually between you know they haven't got to sign 20 players for 16 million dollars what they've got to do is they've got to sign 20 players who minus those 20 players they replace a 16 million dollars so if they go out and sign a defensive tackle for seven hundred thousand dollars that's actually really a cap hit of two hundred thousand dollars which is basically peanuts so yeah they can afford to sign a number of guys at the lower end and it not really hit them in terms of the cap space so it's worth noting that that, that it isn't sort of they haven't got to sort of fill all these holes with just 60 million dollars in cap yeah. um so with that in mind i think they have to sign at least one defensive end if not two if only for the numbers i mean at the moment you've got addison abada Cox and Haynes so that's one that's only four defensive ends which is not very many but also Haynes did almost nothing as a rookie Abada showed a lot of promise but he's still quite raw and Cox is a decent backup and rotation piece who can give you a number of things as sort of a fourth or fifth defensive end but he's surely you know definitely not a starter yeah so you can't go into the draft and needing to draft two defensive ends so I think the Cox signing possibly means that Horton's allowed to test for agency a bit because they can kind of do similar things and it gives you a bit of flexibility there. Yeah. But I, I think I think a mid-tier defensive end is is probably one of the Panthers' highest priorities. Uh, you know, not for the ten million dollars that that some guys are going to get, and certainly not for the twenty million dollars that Lawrence would have got if he if he, he did get tagged again, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, so he, he was going to get twenty million dollars basically, and the you know the Panthers weren't going to go after him, but a guy who's been talked about maybe getting cut is Robert Quinn. Um, if he does get cut, I'd have thought he's probably in that five, six, seven million dollar range in terms of yeah. what he's going to get right now. That's more where the Panthers are looking. And yeah. whilst Robert Quinn is not the player he was three or four years ago, he's still actually quite young. He's still producing at a reasonably high level, despite Miami being a complete mess. And you know, he, he does make some sense from a schematic point of view and he can kind of play three, four outside linebacker as well if they do try and do some of those looks. Yeah, that'll be so a good like, pickup. Yeah, like if you can get Quinn for like six, seven million dollars, that would make a lot of sense. And whilst it wouldn't be super exciting, a starting pair of Quinn and Addison is actually pretty solid. Yeah, he, he's only a year older than Marcus Lawrence as well. Yeah, that's the thing. He's actually still weird. in his prime. 
Yeah, yeah. no, no, he, he was really, really good, really, really young yeah. um, in, in St. Louis. Um, so I don't think you have to throw all your eggs in the Quinn basket, but if it's, it's someone in that kind of okay to decent starter with some, I mean, at least with Quinn, you kind of get the upside that he, a lot of his decline has been due to things that aren't to do with his play, if that makes sense. Yeah. In that St. Louis radically changed their defensive scheme and he no longer made any sense whatsoever. You know, he can play three for us at linebacker at times. He isn't a, like, you know, he is a 4-3 defensive end and not a 3 for outside linebacker. If you play a 3 yeah. all the time, he doesn't really make much sense, which is what they went to. And you also get the issue that in Miami, there were all kinds of problems going on. And, you know, that they've had other issues, shall we say, um, to do with coaching and all kinds of things. So I, I think he's probably a better player than his sort of stat sheets have shown the last couple of years. Um, and if it... It just gives the Panthers some more freedom. I think that's the big thing with it, with this free agency for the Panthers is it, it's giving them the freedom to not have to draft certain positions. Yeah. And because sensibly they could sign Quinn in the first, like sorry, they could sign Quinn um, for like five or six million dollars and then draft the defensive end in the second round if they want to. Like that, it doesn't preclude you from from going defensive end quite early. It just means that you don't have to go defensive end really early. Yeah, yeah, so it's another hedge. Um, yeah. Can you see them uh, getting anyone inside on the defensive line? Well, yeah, I think they have to sign somebody because Carl loves a pending free agent. So even if it's just bringing him back, you have, you yeah, know, they, they they only have three sort of definite defensive tackles for next season. Um, I think the question then becomes about schematic. Like if they if if they are really sold on playing some more three four, they are currently quite sure of people who can play the three tech. And Carl Love is definitely not a natural three tech. Like he can, yeah. you know, he does play it at times in the four three, but he is not a natural three tech. Yeah. Um, particularly in it if you want him to penetrate um, as a run defender. Um, so maybe going somewhere, maybe not for much more money, and maybe not necessarily getting an upgrade, just as much as someone who gives you a bit more scheme flexibility. Um, someone I quite like is Christian Covington out of um, from the Texans. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, I remember him from the draft. Yeah, from Rice. He's kind of the undersized yeah. three tech. Yeah, he's been quite productive, and it's really, it's it's not totally clear what his value is. Um, mm. and that that's always the thing with with guys who've been rotation pieces is that do some teams see him as a starter? Because if they do, the Panther, you know, that's clearly then out of their price, right? If yeah. if someone's you know if someone's offering him starter money, you can forget about it. But if you can get him for that sort of, you know, basically the money you were going to pay Carl Love anyway, um, then it, that's a good signing. And it doesn't have to be Covington. I think this is more about the idea of shifting scheme rather than necessarily going for a particular player in terms of upgrade. So, but he would be an example of a guy who would maybe be more of that natural fit, who gives you, a, especially you know, a pass rushing three tech in a four three look, and then a more natural three tech in a three four look. Yeah. And and and. But that, yeah, so that's something they could explore. And I think when if they do go that kind of way, that's in a clear indication that they really are serious about this 3-4 stuff. What's up, guys? Den here from the Keep Pound End podcast here on the Riot Network. Check us out this week as we talk about Panthers roster adjustments, the Week 17 debate that I'm sick of. The Panthers are somehow exactly 500 since Super Bowl 50. We also talk about the Combine, the NFL draft coming up, the crazy things happening already in free agency, and Bobby's kind of a psycho for liking a certain cereal. All that and more this week on the Keep Pound End podcast, episode 126 on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and more. Okay, we should probably move on to linebackers now. Yeah. Um, um, so who's going to replace TD? Uh, I think uh, Jermaine Carter's pretty much, from everything you, you're hearing, it's Jermaine Carter's going to get the first shot at being that starting linebacker. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be interesting if they are going to do some of this three-four stuff, how they use Andre Smith, because I think he could also see the field as well as as, as a as a three-four outside linebacker and gives them some depth as a, as a four-three outside linebacker. Um, which is quite nice. They've obviously just re-signed Jared Norris to give them some depth. Yep. I mean, I know it's not an exciting pick, but again, it's like with Kevin White. At some point, you just need to have enough bodies. You can't go into a season with four linebackers. You just got to, at some point, you've got to have somebody. Um, and I think it's important that they signed one of him or Mayo just to give them those numbers. Because if they lose those two and Jacobs and TD, you're then really scrabbling just to get the numbers together. 
Um, I think they probably do go out and sign the linebacker, but it's probably again it's for absolute peanuts. It's just it's somebody who who means they're not going into the draft with five linebackers. Um, I I quite like Mark and Zotcher, who's I think he played for the Forty Niners last year. But again, it, you're basically signing special teams guys to be depth linebackers. You're going to pay them absolute peanuts, and you know if you then get a UDFA who beats them out, so be it, kind of thing. Like I, yeah. I don't think I, you know th- this is one of those signings where it, it, it's just going to be a, m- a matter of waiting a week or so into free agency and just seeing who's left and going for what you what you fancy really. Okay. Which is not particularly exciting, but I think it's probably just the reality of it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, defensive backs then, uh, cornerback. Yeah. So this is, I think it's it's quite, it, it's a position that's probably a need, but in a way that's very hard to really direct many assets at it. In that James Bradbury is pretty definitely CB number one. Yeah. Uh, Dante Jackson's pretty definitely CB number two. Yep. And then Ross Cockrell is almost certainly CB number three. However, who then plays behind them is very much up in the air. You do have the likes of Kevon Seymour and Cornelder, but they're pretty much replacement level players, yep. at least from what they've shown so far. And then you have the fact that both Cockrell and Bradbury are going to be free agents this time next year. So it wouldn't be a shock to see the Panthers explore some other options, but not in terms of those top three guys. I don't. I, I think they're pretty pretty set. Mm. But 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 maybe either in the late round of the draft or or as a as a, a, a mid tier you know probably a low tier free agent just someone to bring into the mix to compete. Yeah. Um. Like the very very high end option is Jason Barrett, but again he's in the Eifert category of a guy yeah. who's just been crippled by injuries and so it's just a matter of how low his market is. Um. I think the other advantage of Barrett potentially is that it you know the one. Like the Panthers did talk last year with having Cockrell, Jackson, and Bradbury about playing like a matchup basis rather than like a one, two, and three thing, where mm. depending on who the opponent, opposing receivers are, you you basically change who you like. You basically you, you go matchup by matchup rather than necessarily having a depth chart as such. Yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. And uh, it has a real value. The only issue is that they don't have that sort of classic nickel option. Mm. That, that Dante Jackson's a speed guy, Bradbury's a big guy, Cockrell's like another big guy who can also color tight ends and some slot receivers and gives you some versatility. But you don't, you know, Captain Munnellin was meant to be this kind of, you know, the the, the classic nickel. And obviously moving on from him um, means they don't have that. Varet could definitely fill that role. Yeah. Um, but there's also a chance they try and do that on day three of the draft as well. So. It, this that's very much a what's the money like signing because if again if you get Verrett for a couple of million then it's much more you know the seat you know that the it's risk versus reward but you're not going to go and throw five million dollars at a nickel to be your sort of basically rotation slash number three slash four cornerback really yeah, so yeah, yeah it, you've it, already got some depth you've got some guys in place that it's probably something you can do yeah no and I think th- I think It'd be interesting to see with Verrett because he was like he was legitimately great when he was healthy. It's just, I mean, Eifert has been hurt a lot. Verrett has been hurt an awful lot. Like, like yeah. Verrett's injury history is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then you also have the concern that like his injuries could potentially completely derail his career. Um, in that even if he's healthy, whether he can even be the same player again is a real concern. So yeah, I mean, his athleticism is so key to his game. Yeah. And like so, I think the NFL have done like their top 101 free agents, and he's actually quite high on that. But okay. I think at that point he's trading on name rather than anything else. Like it, yeah. it, it's he he's played so little over the last two or three years that to end like maybe the Chargers have an idea, but for anyone else to have a real clue of what he is as a player at this point is is questionable. So that that's uh I could see his market being almost non-existent, or I could see it being quite big just based on his name. Yeah, we're interested to see uh, how the NFL treats it. Yeah. Uh, similar with Eifert. Yeah, I think at least Eifert has kind of... He's played a handful of games fairly consistently. It's just getting him to play more than a handful of games. Um, and I think Eifert's almost accepted he's going to take... A, I, I think it would be a surprise to see Eifert sign a multi-year deal at this point. Whereas Verrett, it's really unclear what where he thinks he's at, if that makes sense. Whether yeah. he wants security yeah. or whether he thinks he can come back and prove it. I'm guessing this will be his first uh, 
contract post rookie deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember if he signed if he got a fifth year option or not. But I, I think, think he did. Yeah, cause, but I think this is this is his first. This is him hitting free agency for the first time. I think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, him. He's a he's a really hard one to tie down because it, you know it's an all pro corner, which is worth. And, and a man coverage corner as well, not just a zone guy, a guy oh, yeah, who can yeah. just somebody play man coverage, which is probably worth $15 million on the open market, but also he's played about three games over the past two or three seasons. Like, he's 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 suffered significant season-ending season injuries multiple times. Yeah, he's, he's he's played one game the last couple of years. The season yeah. before that, he played four. Yeah. And the 2015 season was when he made a Pro Bowl. Um, yeah, it, it's it's judging the market of a player like that is, is is almost impossible. Yeah. And the Panthers can't be the team that comes out day one and offers in this contract because they know they can't, you know, if it becomes a bidding war, they don't have that. They have to, you know, with, with a lot of these guys, they're just going to have to wait and just hope that the market isn't hugely hot on any of them. And then when the market sort of settles down and the teams, you know, when the Jets are throwing $14 million at Devon Funches, that then then you kind of you know start trying to get some better value on the you know as the market settles down. Yeah. And then at the safety position, Eric Creed is coming back, but will the Panthers uh, sign up anyone to partner him with? I mean, I think you have to get somebody. It's just whether you do that in free agency or whether you do it in the draft. Um, the one thing I would say is at the moment they can't really not they can't but. They probably wouldn't feel huge because Colin Jones is a pending free agent as well. Yeah. A guy, and he's a guy they might bring back because he can play corner as well. So like, you know, he's definitely not gone, gone. But at the moment, their corners are sort of uh, Cersei, Reed, Golden, and someone else whose name completely Damian pa- uh, yeah, Palms, who they who resigned recently. And so actually, it's quite hard to cut Cersei because then that 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 then moves you into having to draft a safety territory just in terms of numbers. But if they, they because they can cut Cersei and free up two million dollars in cap space, pretty much. Yeah. Signing another safety for three million dollars is almost cost neutral. Um. So it, it's it, it's maybe not as out of the reach of possibility as as, as it might be. The yeah. other thing I would say is that this is a ridiculously deep safety class, I, particularly at the free safety position, like the deep field safety, which is what the Panthers need to pair with Reed. Hmm. And actually, if if, if you know they're probably not going to get those sort of top guys but if they can get some of the, the lower down guys from a bit cheaper when the market settles down yeah that make a lot of sense as well yeah it's probably I mean, there yeah to go for a safety and free agency yeah i mean so a name that has been talked about is weddell partly because he's just got cut but partly because he played with um rivera in san diego yeah, and of course san diego so there's there's a link there um i think it's interesting to see what his market will be is i like I do get the people who think it's ridiculous for the Ravens to cut him. I do kind of get what they're getting at, but at the end of the day, it's really hard to justify paying serious high money to a 34 year old safety, um, particularly a deep field safety where once your athleticism goes, that can be a real concern. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 it'll be interesting to see what the market for him's like, because you know, when he hit free agency a few years ago and he was in his early 30s, that, that's very different to hitting the you know, market in, in your mid-30s. Because as yeah. the Panthers saw with Mike Adams, like there comes a point where your body just can't do some of the stuff anymore. And like Mike Adams was realistically, he was a free safety who they had to play at strong safety <laughs> because he wasn't fast enough to play in a deep field anymore. Yeah. Um, and the issue is, is that the Panthers have have a box safety and don't want to do what they had to do at times last year where they were playing Eric Reed deep safety because they hadn't knew everyone else was even less of a deep safety than he was. And and that's the issue they have if they keep Cersei is that Cersei is very definitely not a deep safety. Like it, you know, yeah. if, if you have Cersei and Reed, you're having to start Reed deep because Cersei can't run. So I, the Panthers can't afford to sign a safety who can't play deep at this point. If you if, if they get a safety, it has to be a deep field safety um, in terms of throwing any assets at them whatsoever. Yeah. And the fact that there's going to be a slight concern that Weddle can keep doing that is going yeah. to, that, that 
you can't throw $5 million at him if you're the Panthers and think that's anything other than a serious risk. And and obviously the, the risk is still there if you throw $2 million at him, but it's less of a risk and the reward's still there. So I, I think if he signs like a Julius Peppers one-year $3.5 million deal, $3 million deal, something like that, that, that makes real sense. But the other thing for Panthers is just to wait on some of the other guys and see who's still there after a few days. And actually, maybe Trey Boston wants to come back to Carolina and actually isn't going to cost as much as going after, you know, ha-ha Clinton Dix. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. But um, I think in a, in a dream world, the Panthers sign a defensive end, a centre and a free safety, none of whom are necessarily stars, but all of whom mean they don't have to then sign draft those three positions. Because it, the, the ideal scenario is that the Panthers probably have to go O-line, or not have to, the Panthers would probably choose to go O-line in the first, and then you wait and see who falls to 47, and you take the best player who's there. And that could be a pass rusher, a safety, an IOL, you know, pretty much anybody. It's not out of the question that someone like Polite now falls to 47. There yeah. are none safeties who could fall to 47. You don't want to be tied into having to draft a particular position there because there are enough players who could fall there who are worth that pick that you want to just be able to take the best one regardless of position. What you don't want is there to be a run on safeties. Actually, you're stuck there at 47 going like, well, we have to draft the fifth best safety in the draft now because otherwise we're going to get stuck with the 19th best safety in the third. Um, rather than going, actually, there's like the second or third best interior offensive line and the draft still there so we can get them. So Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's about closing needs rather than anything else. Yeah, and, and, and leveraging the, the relative strengths of the draft and free agency. Yeah, yeah. And obviously that probably means free agency is going to be hard one to get O-linesmen at. Like, you, you know, that's <laughs> very rarely do you get good value on offensive linesmen in free agency unless you get players who are either veterans looking to sign like career closing, I want to win a championship deals, or you get players where there's a massive risk associated with them and that's why you're getting them cheap. Yep. So yeah, offensive linesmen go for crazy money. But luckily, Daryl Williams is probably going to get paid an insane amount, so that's a that's a third round comp pick in the making. So you know, <laughs> please go to Buffalo and sign for a you know five year, seventy five million dollar deal or whatever it is. We'll you know, I, I, quite yeah. happy with that. I think the other the other thing with going after guys, this is a bit of a tangent, but going after guys like Weddle and Quinn is that as they have been cut, they don't count towards the comp pick calculation. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or that's, if Quinn that's does, assuming Quinn does get cut, and actually that means that you could, you know, yes, of course, the other guys would count as the comp pick, but signing Alfred Morris for seven hundred thousand dollars is basically peanuts um, in those calculations. And actually, if your two yeah. biggest signings are, say, say they come out and they give six million dollars to Quinn and three million dollars to um, to to Weddle. Actually, those are your two big frequent signings that are not going to factor into the comp pick calculation. And given that almost certainly Williams and probably Funches are going to get basically third round comp pick contracts on the free agency, definitely Williams. Yeah. You're then looking at actually, and I, I know this sounds like a very cynical way to do it, but actually those comp picks can be really useful. If you pick up two extra you know, third round picks, that's, that's you know, that's pretty significant. Those, those those third round picks are genuine assets. Oh yeah, of course. In, in a way that fifth round picks probably aren't. Yeah. Like what they are obviously assets, but nowhere near the same magnitude. Like like the the draft value of a pick falls off exponentially. And so if you can get those third round comp picks, those are really particularly for players who you probably weren't going to choose to resign anyway. That's really really valuable. And actually, the advantage of going after guys like potentially Verrett or Eifert or White or anyone like that, where there is this upside associated with them, if, if they do work out, you not just get a year of goods production, you then get the potential for a comp pick down the line. And that that does have to factor into a certain degree in terms of if you're going to, you know, you have to have a certain number of bodies on the roster who are just going to be depth guys who might not even play in all the games. And if you can get some value out of them as an upside, that makes loads of sense. Yep, you you make some good points, and it's, it's it's probably something that all NFL teams consider when deciding to give out contracts. It's just uh, a lot of the times it's um, 
desperation, that means they give offensive linemen lots and lots of money. Yeah, I do think there are also some teams that just do some insane stuff. I, I mean, I, I, the Nick Boyle contract is still baffling me a little bit. Not because I, I actually do quite like Nick Boyle, but not for $6 million a year, and certainly not when I've just spent a first and a third round pick on a tight end a year ago. Yeah, but, but what if that first round pick is Hayden Hurst? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> but Mark Andrews is probably better than a, you know, realistically, yeah. if you drafted Mark Andrews in the first and Hayden Hurst in the third, I mean, you'd be a little bit miffed, but not that miffed. It's just the fact that they dropped them the wrong way around is the issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I, yeah, what you cut. It teams do some strange stuff in terms of how they associate, you know, how how they use assets. Um, I don't know what the Ravens' cap space is like, but I can't imagine they're absolutely loaded with cap. Very well, they basically cut Eric Weddle. They basically cut Eric Weddle to sign Nick Boyle. Oh, His ass. Yeah. Anyway. Joy of joys, what a wonderful league this is. Um, yeah. <laughs> life's strange. Um, I think we should, <laughs> we, we, should, we should probably stop nattering on. Yeah, um, I, uh, we're not going to talk about special teams. No, I mean, the Panthers have just, you know, they've got a kicker and a punter under long-term contracts. They might bring in somebody to compete in training camp slash cover if they get injured. But, yeah. uh, I mean, and Gano got hurt last year and they brought in Catanzaro. Uh, but I don't think that they're gonna move. It would it would cost the money to move on from either of them, and yeah. they're not a team that can afford to. I mean, like people moan about Graham Gano. Graham Gano is a good kicker, not a great kicker, and you can't afford to spend money trying to go from good to great. Uh, you know, you can't afford to cut good players at cost to try and make get great players. It's just that's not a good way to run a team. So yeah. hopefully they don't do that. But yeah, no, I'd, I'd be shocked if they if they did anything with significant uh, special teams. Okay, thank you, Vincent. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always. Oh yes, and we will be na- back next week with cornerbacks. I think is the next position we're going to look at. So that's a uh, always a fun one. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll be back then. Um, hopefully, this has been a vaguely informative podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's the aim. Yeah, that's what we're going for. Uh, thank you for listening. It's goodbye from me. Yeah, it's goodbye from me too.